0: is building a weapon capable of destroying an entire planet. Okay. A few
1: things, Mike. First, uh, well, you blew up another planet, obviously. Yep. What's that, three for you now? <laughs> I think
0: so. <laughs> uh, second, uh, are you out of your stupid run? let go, you dumb man! Abby who? Abby normal.
1: Hello, this is Ryan with Abnormal State Theater, and this is another short take. I was hoping to actually have episode number nine all ready to drop by now, but unforeseen occurrences, namely health problems with myself, health problems with my family, so on and so forth. You're probably sick of hearing it by now. Uh, have delayed me, so I'm rescheduling episode number 9 to drop in January, hopefully around the middle of the month, but maybe earlier. In any case, I've got most of the writing done, most of my notes compiled forward. Hopefully I can get to recording on it soon. At this time, I'd also like to uh, throw a few thank yous in the direction of people that have been supporting me and the podcast. I Never really considered it anything special, but I have gotten some encouragement and some help. Special thanks to my friend Mo for helping me to retool the intro, uh, and you'll hear the retooled intro uh, in episode nine. Not really going to be that different from what's there now, but I did want to tweak it just a little bit. And also he's working on a promo for the show, so hopefully I can get that out in the circulation soon enough. Court Duncan for helping me on the technical side to make the podcast sound better and also Ricky and Lish and a bunch of others. You all know who you are for the moral support and uh, you know making this worthwhile. I thank you all. Anyway for this uh, short take as the last one was devoted to Star Trek. This one's going to be devoted a little bit more to Star Wars. I am seriously psyched up for Rogue 1 now, especially since uh, the last trailer dropped um, had a chance to take a look at some of the new ships and I like what I'm seeing although I do have a few questions uh, about some of the designs the the U-wing fighter for instance I... I like the design it's kind of funny the first time I saw it I saw it from the back end with the wings extended and I honestly thought they were bringing back the Z-95 headhunter from the expanded universe since it sorta had a proto X-wing look to it uh, the engines and such but really a totally different design really I don't know if I'd class that a fighter or not I mean, it is a fairly small, relatively small craft compared to some in the Rebel fleet, but I don't know, since it has the ability to carry troops into battle, I'm thinking this sort of might be more along the lines of, say, the Rebel Alliance's version of the Huey from the Vietnam era, you know? It packs a punch firepower-wise, but also can carry troops into battle. Uh, Another design that I'm really fond of is the TIE STRIKER, the, um... Sort of It's the the TIE fighter ball cockpit, but with two little delta-shaped pieces of what looked like TIE interceptor wings on either side. Very sleek, just a beautiful design. And as I understand it, it's mainly for atmospheric flight. And that was one of the big problems with the old-style TIE fighters. They have those great big vertical solar arrays on either side, and... That sort of thing, if you're flying in windy conditions, that would buffet any ship around really bad. That problem is averted with the tie striker. I mean it just it looks like a dagger ready to go. My question is this though. Okay, we've established the existence of these tie striker craft, which are suitable as I understand it for both atmospheric combat and space combat as having existed before the events of the original trilogy. This is clearly a piece of hardware in the Imperial inventory. Where were they at Hoth? There's a battle that would have definitely called for close air support. Where were they at Endor? Again! You know, even just a couple of those could have turned the tide of battle for the Imperials. Now, naturally, they weren't there because A, they didn't know they were going to exist at this point at Lucasfilm, and B, that would have totally buggered up the end of Return of the Jedi. But still, I think they should have been at Hoth, but that's just my opinion. Also, the character of Orson Krennic, um, the, the man in the white uniform with the cape, really really intrigues me i totally dig ben Mendelssohn playing that role but at the same time there's a little piece of me that would have loved to see what christoph waltz would do with the role um you know ever since he played uh the, the nazi and he played you know some other types of bad guys inspector and so on i don't know this just seems like a role that would fit him like a glove if you are really psyched up about Rogue One, there's a book that I would like to recommend. It's called Catalyst, a Rogue One novel. And um, I know I picked one up here at Target uh, just this past week and finished reading it just last night. Basically, what it is, is the prequel to Rogue One in the sense that it goes into the lives of Galen Erso, Orson Krennic, Grand Moff Tarkin makes an appearance. Basically it sets the events up so that if you watch Rogue One after having read this, I'm sure that it's gonna enrich you know your understanding of things. It's not essential, it's not required reading to enjoy Rogue One I'm sure, but if you have the chance and if you have the time I'd say snap this book up and give it a read it may pay off once you've seen the movie. I'll probably drop another short take after I've seen the movie to give my thoughts. In the meantime, shifting gears here a little bit, I'm also waiting patiently for the new Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes to arrive on Netflix. And I know I'm not alone in this. Now, I could have sworn I'd read a rumor that it would premiere on Netflix around March of 2017, But I could have been hallucinating that. For some reason, I think I might have read that in a Nerdist article where Chris Hardwick said that. But don't quote me. I just don't have those resources handy right now. But here a couple weeks back, Shout Factory had a Turkey Day sale where they were selling MST box sets at half price. And I probably took a little more advantage of that sale than I should have. Because I love having the official DVDs, the box set got a shelf that's filled up with them even though they're ridiculously priced typically you know you go on ebay you find some used you find some on sale different places and you can build up a fairly decent collection without having to mortgage the house for it although there's a few of the uh old rhino box sets that i'm glad i held on to because those things are worth their weight in gold now and while it's nice to have official dvds of the shows I still kind of have a little bit of nostalgia for the old days. What I mean by that is that I have some VHS tapes around here that I taped off the TV from like 20 years ago and um, I know some people they tape only on SP because that's the highest quality and you can fit one movie on there and it's in really good shape. I said forget that whenever I was younger uh with some judicious editing with some you know if you were quick on the pause button to get the commercials cut I could fit four episodes onto a single VHS tape and I did circulate them amongst my friends and cousins and so on it's a little weird now though watching an episode on DVD and having that pristine picture quality there instead of having the grainy VHS look and the the tracking lines and so on or you know the little snippet of like the first nanosecond of a commercial whenever I was slow on the draw so I'll still pull the tapes out and and watch them every now and then on a VCR that I have to keep well maintained just to sort of stay in touch with in the past back whenever keep circulating the tapes was something that you took literally Speaking of MST, I had myself a little Turkey Day mini-marathon the weekend after Thanksgiving where I watched all five of the Gamera-themed episodes of MST3K and had a ball. Oh, I I needed that. I, I needed that to put me in a good mood. Now, to be fair, a lot of people give the Gamera movies in general crap. They say that Gamera was a cut-rate Godzilla, that the movies were no good, and it is true to an extent that the Gamera films didn't quite maintain the same high standard as Toho's Godzilla films, but if you ever have the chance to watch them uncut in the original Japanese with subtitles, if you like to read subtitles, they are actually quite respectable little kaiju films. I picked up Mill Creek's 11 movie Gamma box sets. Uh, it was sometime earlier this year, late last year. It was very inexpensive, and I was pleasantly surprised at how well they were presented. You know the subtitles were fairly decent and I, I guess the one exception to that was the uh super monster Gamera, which i think was released in like 1984 that one's just painful basically that's a clip show held together by the stupidest of premises and is a total waste of time if you've seen the six or seven Gamera films that came before it then you've seen all that you need, because all this is, is a rehash with clips from those different movies. And the new Gamera films that came out, Gamera, Defender of the Universe, and so on, all I can say is, wow. Really, presentation is the reason that five Gamera films ended up on MST3K. Uh, Sandy Frank, who was the entrepreneur who imported these movies to the U.S. initially, did these films no favors with the horrendous, downright crazy, insane, just awful dubbing. My fellow misties know this is true, and I have to mention just a single definitive example, corn job. That's all I'm going to say, those who know will attest. And on that note, that's all the time I have for this short take. So I'm going to close this out with one of the host segments from the MST treatment of the very first Gamera movie. And I'll see you folks next time.
0: More fish flakes, sweet friend. Oh, Tibby, my Tibby, my heart is a mess. I don't have a protective shell over my chest. So people can hurt me With the cruel things they do Yet somehow, sweet Tibby I know you hurt too Oh, Tibby, my Tibby Reality's hard So, Tibby, let's play in the yard Oh, Tibby Oh, Tibby he runs like the wind, a couple of inches, and then back again, of all of Ah, uh, may I take a verse? Well, if you feel it, Crow. Oh, I do. Well, Crow, then by all means... Join me, won't you? Five, six, seven, eight. Tippy! It's tibby, uh, oh, tibby. sorry, sorry, sorry. I love you, my fine little fella. Jeez. Even though you gave the whole family salmonella. No, no, it's not their fault. It isn't their fault. Crow, you take everything good and you ripped my heart out. Jeez, I, I'm <laughs> sorry. Come on, Crow, let him finish his song. Oh, okay. That's a Tom. stupid old turtle. Go ahead, Tom. Thank you, CamBots. Tibby, my Tibby, your blood may be cold. But I know that your heart burns as hot as a coal. It burns with the love only turtles can feel. Tibby, is our love real? My Tibby. I'll never let the dog nose around your bowl, but you know that, don't you? I can see it in your beady little eyes. If you high center on your rock, Tibby, I'll be there to help you down. The toilet's not your fate, friend. You'll always run free. Tibby, long as you have me. You
1: realize a robot just sang a love song to a turtle
0: that was really good tom <laughs> thank you you have been listening to a clockwork cardiac production